Welcome to Desert City Church's podcast. Thanks for listening in. What you are about to hear is a sermon given live at one of our Sunday gatherings. We are a new church serving neighborhoods on the edge of North Phoenix and Scottsdale, Arizona. Our sermons are ongoing conversations around a sacred text or scripture in which we find the story of Jesus. We hope they inspire you to love God and others more. If we can serve you in any way or answer any questions about our community, please don't hesitate to ask. You can find out more information at DesertCityChurch.com. If you want to open to Jeremiah chapter 29, we'll get started. I want to read verse 11, and it says this, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. These are words to live by. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this day. Lord, we thank you for this community. We thank you for your word. And as we gather, Lord, we gather here weekly, um, we ask that you just continue to form us to be a particular kind of people in this world. Speak to us now, Lord. Uh, stir our hearts. Your sons and we pray. Amen. When I was in middle school, my science class uh, would give us a magazine. And I wasn't like super into science, but one thing that I loved in this magazine was there was like this half page that had these mystery objects that you had to figure out what they were. And these mystery objects were basically like they'd take a telescope and they would zoom in on something. And you'd have to guess what it is. And then on the back page of the magazine had the answer of what the mystery object was, and it would scan out, and you could see it. So I think we actually have one of these. Yes, have you guys seen these little mystery objects? Anyone? Oh, whoa, whoa. <laughs> There's always one in every classroom. Uh, <laughs> so yes, the mystery objects on my left is a uh, very enigmatic object. We're not sure what it is. May or may not be a butterfly. On the right, does anyone have a guess of what that would be? Bagel. Looks yummy. Is that what I heard? <laughs> a gummy? Okay. Yeah, so if we scan out, we see these two objects are uh, a butterfly. Well done, Christy Skiba. <laughs> and a donut. Yes. Uh, you remember these magazines. Uh, do any of your children do them? Like these little... Uh, yeah, I guess they're little activities where you, you can look skin at skin really closely. Um, I, I remember, I, I love these. I wasn't very good at them. For some reason, I couldn't recognize like, what the object was when we zoom way in. Um, some people are brilliant at them. And, uh, but I think it's interesting uh, to think about when you scan out from something, you get a kind of a better picture of what it is. Just because you're closer in doesn't mean that you necessarily recognize what's going on. And this summer, we've been going through this series called Words to Live By. And what we've been looking at are these scriptures, these Bible verses that are very uh, maybe popular or common or that we hear over and over again or that we quote over and over again. Um, like Scripture like John 3.16 or Psalm 23. And what we've, what we've said is that a lot of these verses, uh, we, we just kind of see this glimpse of them and, and they're good and we use them uh, for everyday life. But when we kind of scan out a little bit, when we, when we kind of pull back and look at kind of the bigger picture, there's a context that these Bible verses are grounded in. And so we've been looking at kind of like 
what's the picture that kind of surrounds this verse? And, and, and if we look at kind of the context surrounding this verse, is it possible that we'll get really kind of a better picture of what this is, what this means? And this verse that I read today, Jeremiah 29, 11, is one of those verses that's very popular. You, you, you might have it posted in your house somewhere. Uh, you might have a, a grandma that has it on a, quilted on a pillow or something. It, it's one of those verses that we see over and over again because it's a good word. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Like there's hope, there's future, there's, you know, there's this message of, of thriving, and we love that. But if we kind of scan out a little bit and look at the context of this, what we find is that it, it is a powerful scripture, and it's grounded in this passage full of, of meaning. And what's going on when this is written is that it's written by a man named Jeremiah. And it's written right around the 6th century before Christ. And it's written in Jerusalem. And what's going on in Jerusalem is there are kind of three superpowers surrounding it. They have the Assyrians to the north. They have the Egyptians kind of like to the southwest. And then they have the Babylonians to the east. And there's this kind of fight for power, this type Game of Thrones type political thing happening at this point. In the Jerusalem, the people of God are caught up right in the middle of it. And their country is Judah. They, the, their kingdom has been divided. Judah is the southern kingdom, and Israel is the northern kingdom. And Israel gets taken out by the Assyrians. And Judah's kind of like isolated between these three superpowers. And what's happening is they're getting caught up in the conflict. And right around 597 or so, this Babylonian king named Nebuchadnezzar assaults the city of Jerusalem, attacks it, uh, conquers it, takes a bunch of uh, its uh, best art, its best treasure, its best thinking minds back to Babylon. And the city's kind of wrecked. The people of God are devastated. The fighting continues, and about 10 years later, Nebuchadnezzar comes back and he finishes the job. And he completely wipes out the city of Jerusalem, just levels it, tears down everything, leaves no stone unturned, just the whole thing is rubble. Um, takes all of its treasure. And the people of God are exiled to Babylon. And you have this entire nation that just kind of gets kidnapped in a way and brought into this town of Babylon. Some people were able to escape. Some people were able to get out of it. And they would either go down to Egypt and hide or go out into the hills and hide and kind of come back to what was left of the devastation. And it's a very pivotal point in scripture, in the Old Testament, in history. Everything kind of like just changes for God's people. Because up until this point, they had been in this place that they thought was the promised land and that God was with them. And for this to happen, for this thing that they had desired so long to be in this place, to have it all fall apart, raised all sorts of questions like, where is God? Why would he let this happen? What have we done to deserve this? It's a devastating time. And we've kind of talked about this over the last year because we looked at Lamentations back in the spring. And Lamentations is like this, this book of prayer that follows Jeremiah. And we looked at the book of Daniel about a year ago. Daniel and his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are caught up in this exile and they end up in Babylon. But this is the context kind of surrounding this 
very hopeful words from Jeremiah. And the question is, when something devastating happens like this and everyone's asking, where is God? The hope is that we would have some sort of word from God. Maybe God would speak to us. In order for God to speak to us, you need a prophet. And this is where Jeremiah comes onto the scene. And he says in this chapter of 29, let me just read kind of the first couple of verses. It sets up this context. It says, uh, Jeremiah 29, 1 through 3. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests and the prophets and all other people Nebuchadnezzar carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So most scholars would say that Jeremiah, he's writing from Jerusalem, so he was probably some of those guys, he was part of the group that got out and then they came back. So he's writing this letter to the exiles. And what we find is Jeremiah 29.11 is this statement that's wedged into this letter. And he's writing to them, and you can imagine like all these people who are living in Babylon receive this word from God. They receive this letter. And they've got to be so interested in what it has to say. Everything's been falling apart, and they're looking for guidance, like what's next? And they receive this letter from Jeremiah, a letter to the exiles. I think of like World War II, uh, and World War II, and we have all this like devastating uh, attacks that happen, you know, like Pearl Harbor, you have this proclamation, this is a day that will live in infamy, our president says that. It becomes these like famous words. Over in England, uh, when everything falls apart, um, you have you know, their leader with this great speech, we're talking about how we'll fight them on the beaches, we'll fight them in the air, we'll fight them on the land, we'll fight. You have these like iconic like, messages that come to people who are devastated. And I kind of think this might have been like what happened with these exiles. When they, they received this letter for, from Jeremiah, these words would have been met with great anticipation. What do we do? And what they find is that the message from Jeremiah is a surprising message. The scholar Christopher Wright says this is uh, the surprising letter to the exiles. And it opens with this in chapter or verse 4. It says, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those carried, I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So that opening statement of the letter, this is a word from God written by Jeremiah. This is what the Lord Almighty says, the God of Israel says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now, if you're receiving this letter as an exile, one of the first things that you would notice is that you're wondering, like, where is God? The whole situation changes when the letter says, these are the words from God, and I am the one that carried you into exile. Because if you're wondering, where is God, and then all of a sudden you get this message that, oh, wait, he's in the midst of this. And he was even the author of what's going on right here. What happens is that there's a surprising new perspective that God's people are opened up to. Who did this? Was it Nebuchadnezzar? Was it God? And Jeremiah's answer is yes. Jeremiah says, our country's been destroyed. Jerusalem's been destroyed. The temple's been destroyed. But God is still on the throne. And what's happening here, where everything has fallen apart and your life has been devastated, there's still the sovereign God who's on the throne. And you might, you might read that and think, that's a hard message to hear when everything falls apart. Like, what kind of God would allow that to happen? If you grew up 
in the church and you have really strong faith, you might see, yeah, there's a sovereignty of God that we see throughout history. And it's easy to look back and see things that we thought were going to be really bad that turn out for the good. This is a classic case of that. When you look back in history, we see the sovereignty of God, the hand of God guiding people through really hard times. But it's really different to understand that when you're in the midst of it. It's one thing to look back at history and say, yeah, we see that God was, God was behind this whole thing, and it works out. But when you're in the midst of it, you're searching for this invisible God, wondering where he's at. The skeptical might say that God's not involved in this at all. This is all man-made destruction. This is Nebuchadnezzar. This is people. This is violence. This is destruction. This is oppression. The scholar Christopher Wright says, they're both kind of right. This is caused by Nebuchadnezzar, but it's not outside of God's sovereignty. He's let this happen, but at the same time, he's behind the scenes at work in what's happening. And in a strange way, this is good news. God sees what's happening in this world, and he's a part of it. He's involved, he's engaged. This would have been a surprising new perspective for these people who are wondering where God was at. This letter all of a sudden God gets very, very personal. He says, I have you in my grasp in the midst of what you're going through right now. You're still in my grasp. He goes on to say this. Build houses. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, so that they too may have sons and daughters, and increase in number there. Do not decrease. This would be a surprising perspective too. Like, we've been sent away to exile with these people who are our enemies, and we're living under their rule, and we get this word of God, and then God says, I'm in the midst of this very circumstance, and you're thinking like, what the next thing is going to do is that he's going to rescue us, right? And God says, set up camp. You're in exile. Set up camp, build houses, settle down. That would have been a surprising response. And what's interesting here is what's happening is God is moving these people from refugees to residents. And there's something that, that I think happens, I don't know if God always works like this, but the way that God works is he takes us in the midst of our terrible circumstances that we could be going through. And he doesn't necessarily just help us escape that circumstance. But he uses us to transform the world around us. And what's going on here is the people of God are being transformed from refugees into residents in this very dark and sinister land. This land that God probably hasn't been able to get a hold of, of, of the rulers of Babylon for years. This destructive empire. He's not able to get their attention and now, all of a sudden, we have this group of people who are called to be certain particular people in this world who are setting up camp right in the midst of the oppressive empire. God's saying, dig in. Build houses. You're refugees, but I want you to become residents. And I think there's something about that for us in the midst of whatever circumstance that we're going through. There's some circumstances that we need to get out of. But what we find is that Oftentimes, God takes our circumstances and it gets involved with them and invites, them, invites us to bring about redemption in relationships, 
at work, in our family, in our community. There's this work of God in our life as God's people that moves us from refugees to residents. This is a different perspective than I think what most of us have on life. But what we find throughout scripture is that God's people have this incredible ability to just take a punch. They can suffer well. And in the midst of their suffering, they bring about redemption in circumstances. And God is calling his people who are exiled to Babylon to such type of living. Build houses, settle down, set up camp. Consider the future. You're going to be residents in this dark place. Second thing that's surprising about what's happening here is, God, so God surprises, new surprising perspective. Um, but then also, Jeremiah gives a surprising new mission for God's people. If we continue in this chapter 29, verse 7, after he tells them to set up houses, he says, Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Another message that would be surprising and, and hard to receive this is one of those things where, like, whoever's delivering this message is like, don't shoot the messenger, right? If you guys, people are wondering, like, did the Babylonians get a hold of this? Did they confiscate it? Did they edit it? Like, we're supposed to wait. We're supposed to pray for them? We're supposed to seek the peace of our city? As Americans, how do you do that? Like, if we were ever conquered by Canada, there's no way we would want Canada to right? I mean, I can't even imagine what this would be like to be completely conquered and destroyed by a people to be exiled into their land and then for God to say, not only do I want you to set up camp there, but by the way, you have a mission. You're to pray for your enemies. You're to pray for the peace of this place. And as it prospers, you will too. Very surprising mission handed to God's people. It's interesting, we've actually seen God work like this throughout history in times where he's trying to reach a certain group of people. We see this kind of in like the fourth century when the, the empire of Rome finally gets challenged by the barbarians. The barbarians come in and they start taking out Rome. They finally conquer Rome. A bunch of Christians who are in the Roman Empire get kind of sucked back into northern Europe. And hundreds of years later, what we find is that there's unbelievable missionary work that happens. It's like people were unwilling to go to this land uh, to bring the message of God. And yet they ended up being exiled to this land, and they become missionaries, and they redeem their conquerors' story. There's a surprising mission for God's people that in the midst of your challenging circumstances, you have this calling, you have this mission. Pray for the peace of your city that you've been exiled to. Transform it. Seek its common good. The, the Hebrew word is shalom, the peace of God. The shalom is what we find in the Garden of Eden. And God tells his people, pray for the shalom of Babylon. This would have been an extremely challenging message for God's people. They would write psalms about how much they couldn't stand Babylon. Psalm 137.8 says, By the rivers of Babylon we sat and we wept when we remembered Zion. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in this foreign land? Daughter of Babylon, doomed to destruction. Happy is the one who repays you according to what you've done for us. This is in scripture. 
And then God, in this letter, writing to Jeremiah, tells God's people, pray for the Babylonians. You're not only to set up camp there, you're now on mission. This is a different narrative that you live in. You're a different kind of people. And I want you to thrive and prosper. I'm going to transform this place from the inside out. When you think of the, the story of what's going on here, Daniel in the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these are some of the young men who would have received this letter from Jeremiah. And when we know their story, what we find is uh, the life that they live where they start to thrive in Babylon. They're no doubt and probably inspired by this letter to build houses, to dig in, to pray for the peace and prosperity of the city. God gives his people surprising mission in the midst of very challenging circumstances. There's a surprising new perspective, surprising new mission. And what we find is that this moves God's people from being mourners to missionaries, from being people who mourn to being people who are called to live a certain kind of life. God moves his people from refugees to residents, and he moves them from mourners to missionaries. And then the letter continues. The letter continues. And we get to the verse that's so famous. Verse 10 says, This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. And then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back from captivity, and I will gather you from all the nations and place you where I have banished you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. There's surprising hope in the midst of their circumstances. There's surprising hope that is found in this letter. God says, it is then when you build houses, when you seek the peace of your city, it is then that it will return. Seventy years later, it's interesting, if God gave us a message and said this will be accomplished in 70 years most of us in this room wouldn't be alive to see it, right? There's this kind of longer vision, bigger vision, bigger picture that God's talking about. And so what's happening here is he starts talking about this idea, is I know the plans I have for you. The word you, we read it, and it's first person plural, right? Or first person singular. What's interesting about the Hebrew languages, uh, they have second person uh, plural. Like, we don't even have that in our language. We have third-person plural, like, you guys. If you're from the South, you'd say y'all. But this message isn't for just one person. This is a letter to a group of people. I know the plans that I have for you. It's a community. And so they don't just think of their own individual success, their own individual story, their own individual uh, narrative but they start to see themselves as a people. There's something bigger going on here. 
we're all connected. There's this body of us that are participating on this mission. We're residents and we're on mission now. And as we have this surprising story of hope, what we find is that the people of God move from being victims to visionaries. They move from being victims to visionaries. They pull together, they band together, they work together. They become God's people. Love what this scholar says about this passage. says, Jeremiah is uh, God's harbinger of hope. He asserts that the collapse of Judah's universe signals neither the end of faith nor the death of the community. Despite overwhelming indications to the contrary, God is still at work mending a broken world, healing lives wrecked with pain. A missional approach to life assumes God's desire to heal, preserve, and protect the world and humanity's roles as partners with God in that mission. The missional voice declares God's desire for shalom and God's ultimate sovereignty over the world to attain it. I think this is good to think about. When we consider our calling, when we come to this verse, oftentimes we do read this verse very individualistically. I know in my life I usually read it about my own occupation, right? And that's good. But when we scan out and we see this bigger story, what we find is that this verse is a calling for a community. It's a calling for people in the midst of challenging circumstances to become residents, to be on mission, to be visionaries joining God's work repairing the world. Love the thought of the titles that God moves us through. Jeremiah is taking these refugees, mourning victims, and he turns them into resident missionary visionaries. The challenge remains this for us. Which are we going to choose to be? Not sure what your story is. Not sure what you're going through. I know that there's uh, seasons of life. Uh, Some are easy. Some seasons are hard. Some seasons are painful. Some seasons are joyful. I know most of us aren't going through something as devastating as what the people of God were in this point in history. And yet there's a truth that is found in this passage that is for all of us at every point in history. In the midst of our circumstances, when everything feels like it's falling apart, God invites us to be residents In our time of mourning and suffering, God invites us to be missionaries. He gives us purpose. The times where we're victims, the times where we feel like we've had things done to us, God gives us vision for the future. And when we come to Jeremiah 29, 11, and we read this passage, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, hope for a future. We're reminded of a much bigger story. He closes this letter and he says, this will happen when you turn back to me. When you pray for, to God, he says, I will listen. When you seek me with all of your heart, you will find me. So this hope for the future is grounded in kind of a calling and mission to be a particular kind of people. And after the hope for the future is given, 
there's this reminder that it comes from God. There's this humility that we live life with a dependency on him, trying to be in tune with how he's at work in this world. When we're invited, we're invited to live with such a vision and hope for the future. Tim's going to come back up and close us in prayer. We're going to close with a time of communion. But I want to take some time to reflect. Take some time to even scan out and look at the bigger picture of our own life. And wherever we're at in our journey, whatever's been done to us, whatever we're struggling with, whatever we're hoping to escape at the moment, the invitation today is invite God in to speak to us. Invite him in to transform our hearts. That we would have a bigger picture, a bigger, a surprising perspective that he's at work in our world. That he's bringing about redemption in places, places of darkness. Maybe today uh, you're, you're so weary, you're so beaten up, you just need to sit in his presence. And the prayer would be that you would allow God to just fill your soul with his life, with his hope, with his future. Maybe today you need to make some decisions. Make some decisions to move uh, from uh, just being a victim. And you have every reason to be a victim because of what's been done to you. And say, Lord, I want vision for the future. I'm ready to live life purpose. Maybe today uh, you're mourning and you're grieving and it's healthy to mourn and grieve. Yet in the midst of whatever you're mourning God would speak to you and say I want to use this for something good. I'm not sure where you're at. But today we're going to close with communion and close with reflecting on our own lives. And when you feel ready feel free to move to the communion table. For us, the communion table represents God's work in this world, the work that God has done on the cross and the work that God continues to do. The bread represents the body of Christ, which was broken open. The blood represents, the juice represents the blood that was poured out. And we believe that through the breaking open of God's body and the pouring out of his blood, we receive life. But then we're also told to proclaim it. So every week we remember, but then we also proclaim that as the body of Christ of the church, we join God on this mission. We feel ready today. We invite you to the table to partake. Let me pray. Lord, thank you so much for this, this story. It's an old story, Lord. And Lord, I just pray that this story, as we consider it, as we consider your work in the world, that you would meet us here in our story. We're grateful for your word, Lord. Lord, as we read the story, we're reminded of great pain in this world, that things aren't as they should be. We're reminded of the negative consequences of sin, evil, of destruction. Lord, there's times where we would just want to escape it. Yet we see how you use your people to transform situations of darkness. 
It's a surprising perspective. And Lord, we would ask that the same power, the same spirit, the same vision that you've given your people throughout history, you would give us at Desert City Church. Lord, individually, many of us are going through seasons that feel like exile, seasons of devastation, brokenness. And we wonder where you are. And we're reminded of this surprising perspective that you're with us, that you see, that you know. that you seek to redeem our circumstances, that you invite us to a future and a new way of living. So meet us here today, Lord, speak to us, give us hope for a better tomorrow. For you know the plans for us. In your son's name we pray.